This is Science Moab, a show exploring science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Peggy Hodgkins, and today we are talking about climate change and public land management. It's a good show, brought to you from Moab, Utah. My name is Lainey Bryce. I am a currently a postdoctoral researcher at Cornell University, and I'm a wildlife ecologist. So started studying mammals and carnivores, and that is a big focus of my work, but I really look at food web interactions. Um, so looking at multiple species at a time. And so that's my broader work, but I'm also really interested in how climate change affects those interactions. And a few years ago, while I was a grad student at Utah State University, I was part of a National Science Foundation funded program called the Climate Adaptation Science Program. And it was a way for grad students to be trained in interdisciplinary science, working with people from all different backgrounds and disciplines. And we were all learning how to study climate change, how to adapt to climate change, interact with people, <laughs> talking about climate change. And that's what this project stems from. Today, we are talking with Lainey Bryce about this project that was a grad student-led synthesis for the Climate Adaptation Science Program at Utah State University. The key feature of this project was looking at the gap between scientific literature on climate change and the actual land management practices within the Bureau of Land Management. So I wanted to start off with more of a general question, like what are some of the land uses of the BLM in the Intermountain West? Mm -hmm. So the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, is they have a mighty task on their hands. So they are mandated federally through FLIPMA, which is the Federal Land Policy and Management Act of 1976, to specifically manage lands for multiple uses, which very commonly are competing. So, for example, they have to manage land to allow for mining and oil and gas and energy development, as well as timber and logging, but they also are supposed to manage land for grazing of livestock, but also recreation. They're supposed to work towards conservation of the land, help maintain the land in a way that provides ecosystem services to people um, and preserves cultural values. So really it's any, or any use of the land that could happen, they're tasked with managing for. But the big ones generally are grazing, energy development, recreation, conservation. Yeah, it's a huge task. And so, some of these bigger ones that you've just mentioned, um, land uses, what are some examples of how these land uses are going to be affected by warming temperatures, drought, mm-hmm. in other words, climate change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of different ways. And we often actually see what we found was that some of these specific uses interact with others and in either positive or negative ways. But broadly, for recreation, for example, we expect to see with warming temperatures that actually might expand the seasons when people can go out and hike, for example. So you might actually see more participation in outdoor recreation. On the other hand, you would see less snow-based recreation, right? Less skiing, because we'll have less time when snow is available. We expect to see lots of effects, myriad effects on wildlife and plant species. So in general for wildlife, for example, I think some of the most commonly studied species that are expected to be impacted in the Intermountain West are pika, cold water, 
fish like brown trout and salmon, spotted owls, sage grouse, all of those species are expected to be really heavily affected because they're fairly reliant on colder temperatures. So that could be anything from losing habitat because they just can't survive in that temperature anymore. Uh, They could be shifting distributions. Um, So maybe if you're, you know, on a mountain, you're going higher in elevation. Um, We can see changes for grazing, for livestock grazing. Overall, you, we actually expect increased productivity on rangelands because there's with warmer temperatures, we get these longer growing seasons. So you might actually have longer seasons when cattle can graze on land. Now that itself can then positively or negatively affect other species. It might reduce fire frequency if you have more grazing, but can also push out other wildlife and compete with other wildlife. So yeah, depending on what you're talking about, lots of different effects. We don't, in terms of things like mining and energy development, rather than climate change directly affecting those practices, it's more like they contribute to climate change. And so oil and gas uh, permits, for example, uh, will be most affected by policies aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So the effects really run the gamut. A lot of the premise of this study was that, that, that there is a gap between the scientific literature that is pointing to warming temperatures, you know, changing, change in vegetation, change in things like that, and the on the ground land management. Can you just elaborate on that? I mean, what, what led you to, to surmise that there is this gap? So it started because between 2001 and 2017, there was an executive order that mandated that the Bureau of Land Management consider climate change in their reports, in their management planning. And so we wanted to see, because they had to account for climate change, we wanted to see how Bureau of Land Management plans, if that really corresponds to what science and researchers are publishing on in terms of what we expect to happen with climate change. So basically, were they matching up? That really was kind of the impetus for it. Yeah. In terms of the study, a couple ways you went into approach the problem. Obviously, a systematic review of the literature, seeing mm-hmm. you know on climate change and it and and its effects. A huge review on the BLM uh, RMPs or resource mm-hmm. management plans, mm-hmm. and a third really very interesting one is a this, the projected vegetation changes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to. F- to talk a bit about this, how, how with increasing temperatures and, and more drought, do you project how vegetation is going to change? How did, how did you, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is a, in and of itself is a very challenging endeavor. And for this study, we weren't running the models to project what's going to happen to vegetation. Instead, it was just like with our literature review, it was really saying, okay, this is all of, these are all of the studies that have done the projections that have, have modeled pinion juniper systems or what's going to happen to cheatgrass. And it really was combining them and saying, how many of them say that pinion juniper is going to increase versus decrease? And so it was kind of smushing all of them together, laying all of these different projections on top of each other and saying, how much agreement is there in the literature? about which direction things are going to go. Okay. That makes more sense. Thank you. I mean, did you assess like what areas of the BLM will 
seem to be most affected or will be most affected by climate change? We didn't go down to that scale in terms of, you know, which specific offices will have the hardest time dealing. And it really depends on what their focuses are. I think one thing we did do, so you mentioned, we went through all of the resource management plans for all the offices that are in the Intermountain West and noted how are they writing about climate change in their plan? So what are they saying they're going to do or what is of issue? And I think the the biggest challenge there is that most of the plans don't say anything about it. Now, writing one of these resource management plans is a big task because they go under public review and they take a long time to actually get officially published. So whether managers are actually undertaking, you know, lots of different uh, actions to address climate change in their day to day, we don't know that. But based on what's on paper, there's not a lot that's being addressed. So in that sense, across most of these areas, there's a lot of room for uh, adaptive strategies. You know, you could go then and look much more closely, like if you talk about projecting vegetation, we have maps in this paper that kind of show where we expect pinion juniper to decrease versus increase. So if you were interested, if you were a land manager and that was something that you deal with, that helps pinpoint kind of where we would need to be concerned about um, the increases. But overall, we weren't we weren't able to kind of narrow down really and say, you know, this area, so like Southern Utah is going to deal with this versus Idaho is going to have this issue. You're talking about the resource management plans of the BLM. They don't even have the citations in their plans. You know, the likelihood of some action happening is probably even less. What did you find on that front? So this is where the disconnect between published research in journals and actual land managers, that's the disconnect that we really found, right? Is because all of the plans, the RMPs, don't really mention climate change all that frequently. I think it was maybe 12 of 44 plans, which all correspond to an office. I think only 12 mentioned climate change and they were all different in what they were saying. A lot of them were very specific issues to that office, but that's really where the disconnect comes in. And so in scientific literature, there was not a single study that said climate change is not going to affect whatever they were studying. There was a few articles that had some uncertainty, but generally I think scientific community, you know, is at a consensus. Climate change is a huge process that is altering everything. So that is, you know, very clear in the scientific literature, but uh, one of the challenging things for researchers to then have to kind of push for is to say, okay, well, this is happening. And what are specific suggestions we can give to managing agencies to actually address this? Because most of the time, research says this will have management implications, but doesn't really say what specifically that is or what specifically land managers should do. The plans, because they take so long to, you know, to push through, and they also depend heavily on the administration at the time, if they're not mentioning climate change, that doesn't mean that the land managers aren't addressing it. I think there's been studies that show 80 to 90 percent of land managers in the States are, con- are concerned about climate change and think it's their job to address it. So there could be lots that's being done, but it's just not known because it's not in the plans. So can you give an example of this disconnect 
between published literature on climate change and actual management practices? So one of the land uses that the BLM has to manage for is wild horses and burrows. And that is something that comes up as a as a nuisance to land managers very frequently. And it was actually mentioned in conjunction with climate change in two of the resource management plans. In the literature, we didn't find a single paper that talked about wild horses or burrows in relation to climate change or really hardly at all. But so that was just kind of an interesting example of where we find a disconnect, where there's an issue that land managers are very much interested in, but it's either not being researched or not being published on in the academic literature. So in that sense, with wild horses, we could take it as if we have more rangeland productivity expected with longer growing seasons, we would expect as with livestock that that might benefit wild horses and burrows. So perhaps with climate change, you would have a surge or it would support more horses and burrows on the landscape, which is not something that land managers want, right? (laughs) They have a problem with abundance. So that kind of, that's kind of a a gap that so that researchers could address and very specifically target that issue. I just want to reiterate how challenging it is for this agency in particular to manage land because they have competing land uses that they're supposed to manage for and they are commonly sued by different different groups in all different directions. They really have a challenge of managing these conflicting uses and We commonly found within the literature that the more active land uses like mining and energy development and grazing and timber and logging, those tended to have negative effects on what we were calling the intrinsic values, which are things like uh, wildlife and vegetation conservation, ecosystem services, that kind of thing. So I think just generally something to really be aware of and just conscious of is how how much of a challenge the BLM has to to manage a lot of land for a lot of different things under a, a rapidly changing environment. So this paper was not meant as a criticism of that in any way. It was it was meant as a how can we help people who are on the ground and have a lot to deal with. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, did you look at suggestions on bridging this gap between the scientific literature and management of the land? Yeah, so generally we felt like this synthesis was at least a more manageable way for land managers to say, okay, I have an issue with recreation and what literature can I go to to help with that? And so we have a we have all of our data, basically a, a library of research that can be helpful to them. So instead of having to search for it yourself, especially a lot of public agencies don't have access to academic journals, right? They to pay for, we have them at least at the very least the abstract available, Um, but we have it organized in a way that is usable. And we also have an app on um, the climate adaptation science website that allows you to filter all these resources for what's available to you. So there is just from this paper, that was just kind of a, what we wanted to line up is, where can you go to get more information on a specific issues? One of the blaring gaps that we saw reading through, you know, almost 300 articles is that it's so uncommon to have actual management suggestions in scientific research and peer reviewed literature. It really is 
generally very vague how to adapt to climate. So that so that's kind of a call to the academic community to push themselves a little bit more to actually say, these are our results and X, Y, Z can be implemented on the ground. And then it's also a call to land managers to try and incorporate the broader spectrum of research that's out there, or to at least make the plans a bit more transparent in how they're doing that. Right. What would it look like if land managers were using the knowledge of climate change and in their land managing, say, for grazing or for conservation? Mm -hmm. What would what would it look like? Uh, what would change? Mm -hmm. What would change? That's a, a great hard question. <laughs> um, well, one thing is so say, say example, for example, we take grazing, they would need to have very targeted goals. So for example, there is research that suggests that grazing might reduce frequency of fire and severity and might even and might decrease the spread of invasive species. So if that's the case, you they could use grazing as a tool in areas where fire is of a bigger threat, right? So they could limit their grazing permits or suggest uh, that ranchers graze their livestock in specific areas and rotate that to reduce the chance of fire spreading. So you could use it as a tool to combat climate change in that way, for example. One thing we already see with mining and oil and gas development is the 2021 executive order from President Biden to pause all new gas and oil development. So there is a bit of a push, I think, to try and, and limit that activity of energy development or at least fossil fuel energy development and push towards more renewable energy. So you might see that shift. But generally, it's you kind of have to pick an, a land use or pick an issue and see how their how management can adapt to it or use it as a tool to adapt to climate change. So since this this study did come out a little more than a year year and a bit ago, what sort of feedback have you gotten? We've seen it cited in similar papers on climate change and managing for climate change, and by I think there actually were a few government reports that cited it. And so that to me was a really helpful, hopeful, optimistic sign that maybe some of what has come out of this could be used in federal and state management. This study was particular to the Bureau of Land Management because they manage most of the land in the Intermountain West, but you know um, how it applies to Forest Service land or county forest or any other type of land that is, we, I have not yet seen, but we have gotten positive feedback. I haven't seen it, you know, used on the ground in any way yet, but it's, it's young. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Well, Lainey, mm -hmm. thanks for talking with Science More. I really appreciate getting uh, more insight on this, this study. Absolutely. I was happy to be here. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Newsletter by Luke Williams. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah and your support makes it possible.